Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, and on this podcast, we have honest, soulful, explicit conversations about sex, love, relationships, and culture, all of the facets that create your lived experience of sexuality. Come on over to PleasureMechanics.com, where you will find all of the resources we have generated for you since 2006. We have been devoted to creating online resources so you can experience more sexual pleasure, joy, and connection. You can explore our best resources sorted by topic in our sex index or go to pleasuremechanics.com free and join our free online course so you can get started right away. On today's episode, we are going to be exploring how power plays out in our most intimate relationships, in our long-term love relationships, our marriages, and our families. This is a continuation of our series on sex and power, which we started last week with a discussion of how power works in the social sphere. And we defined power as the ability to create and shape and generate change, both in yourself and in your situation and in others around you. Power is really about the ability to change, to lift your coffee cup to your lips, or to create culture. It's all a matter of power. And we talked about the models of power over versus power with. Power over is what we traditionally think of as power. These systems of domination that humans have been so focused on for the past few thousand years that tells us that we use our power to exert our will over other people to get what we want. Power with, which is a new model of power emerging, is all about individuals with power to, that internal power, aligning their powers towards mutual goals and aims. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today, I want to bring this into the microcosm of our most intimate relationships with long-term lovers, with our spouses, within marriages, and within families. And we do this not only because this is a sex and relationships podcast, but also because the family is a microcosm of social power dynamics that can really deeply affect how we experience our lives and how we experience that internal power I was speaking about. If you don't feel powerful within your most intimate sphere, it can be very hard to go out and feel powerful in the world at large. And yet our marriages, our families, are within a structure that we have inherited from this power over system from this power over culture. And as I dig into this, I want to really acknowledge that this is a big topic, it's complicated, and it has already impacted most of us in immeasurable ways. Just like the social power dynamics of race and class and gender have already shaped so much of who we are and how we experience the world, And yet there is so much room to come into more agency and power within 
as we create more equitable systems for all of us. For many of us, our families and how we experience family is well in progress in our lives. And so there's some things that we can't go back and change. There are some experiences we've already had. And I ask us all to have some self-compassion and some gentleness as we explore these topics and think about new ways of doing things. Because make no mistake, power with relationships, thinking about power as a mutually aligned force that can benefit all involved is a pretty new and radical way of thinking about it. And especially doing that within the system of family. Because for thousands of years, at least within our kind of European, Western, United States culture that I'm speaking from, the system of family we've inherited was directly created by power over structures. Meaning the marriage, the heterosexual marriage and family of a married man and woman with children is a historical invention And just that idea that marriage and family is a historical invention and construct can be kind of mind-blowing because we take these things for granted. It feels normal and natural to us. And we have to remember anything that we've normalized and that we start to think of as natural actually deserves a lot more scrutiny because usually when we peek under the covers of these things, they are very deliberately created for very specific aims. And traditionally, over the past few thousand years, marriage was about property and ownership. It was a property contract between two families where a man came into ownership of a woman and thus her reproductive experience to secure the patrilineal line of inheritance and ownership through social and sexual control and the message that the only valid legitimate sex that will not be punished is reproductive intercourse within a marriage, we tried to create control and systems around ownership of that woman and her children so that wealth and inheritance could be passed down along patrilineal lines. It also was used to create a unit that could be taxed by the state. So families and marriages were really codified so that the state, the state powers, whether that be the king or the government, could collect taxes and control and track the units of family. And thinking about this is pretty mind-blowing because in our modern times, we tend to think about family as something that is really chosen and we do it for love and we have a lot of choice over who we marry. But the more we look at it, the more we realize we have inherited this system of a power over structure that really can become a microcosm of so many other dynamics of social power and how that plays out in our individual lives. And while acknowledging that we have inherited this system of family and marriage that is so caught up in the power over model, that was really a system of ownership and property, we can also honor the role of family within us humans as kinship, creating places of belonging, networks of support, 
and security that we all need. And without scrutiny, if we don't really look at the power dynamics within our marriages, we realize the degree to which we can still be playing out these really old scripts, even when they don't align with our values. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to zoom into the microcosm of long-term relationships, marriage, and family to think about power dynamics and how they show up and how we can come into more right relationship with these power dynamics. But I hope there is something here for all of us, whether you're single, whether you're queer or polyamorous, because those of us who are queer and have thought through these things know that the more we think through them, the more we unpack them, the more freedom and agency and choice we have, and the more power we can feel to shape and create the life that we most want. So when you think about a long-term relationship, first we need to think about the social power and the education around power that each individual brings with them into the relationship. So we don't arrive at marriages or long-term relationships as blank slates. We bring with us all of our cultural and social education and indoctrination around things like gender roles, around things like race and class and money, who we have been taught to be, what our expectations in life are, what we feel ourselves worthy of, what we think we can ask for. All of these things are deeply influenced by how we were brought up our specific families of origin and our cultures of origin and what they taught us about power and power dynamics and our place in that. One question that someone asked at a summit that I just has really stuck with me is when you think about your childhood dinner table, who had the right to speak and who was expected to listen? That's just one little window into your family of origin power dynamics and who you were taught to be within that. What were the expectations of you? Where were you rewarded and punished around expression of your own needs and desires and wants? How much freedom and space and agency did you have to determine your own life path? Looking at who we are and where we came from can tell us a lot about the expectations and assumptions we bring into our marriages that many times go unspoken. A lot of times we enter marriages with a whole litany of unspoken assumptions that can really create a lot of frustration and resentment and struggle if they're not unpacked and really looked at. So when we look at the two people within a marriage or relationship, almost never are both of those people equally positioned within social power. And the traditional lenses of looking at social power are things like race, class, and gender. If you look at those windows into who you are and who your spouse is, it will kind of become obvious who has more social power and privilege and who has less. And sometimes that's a complicated mix, but it can become pretty obvious what we carry into our relationships and then what we assume from one another. 
Gender roles is one of the biggest things to look at here because so much of marriage is grounded in an assumption around gender roles to the point where as a queer couple, sometimes we still get asked, well, who plays the husband? As if these are roles that we are handed scripts for and as two women, we have to decide who's going to play which role. It's kind of amazing how much we assume about these roles within family. And it's been really beautiful over the past 10, 20 years to see these roles changing and shifting. And there is so much more flexibility than there was just a generation ago. And yet the studies still show that on average, women do way more of the domestic labor than men. On average, men have much more leisure time than women. On average, women give up their careers or put them on pause much more frequently if they have a child or hold the dual burden of primary parenting and caregiver and having a full-time job. So gender roles are something to really look at and unpack and give yourself permission to shake up. Within your marriage is a culture that you and your partner and the members of your family can create, and you can deliberately create new roles for yourself. You can say, we don't want to replicate these standard gender roles here, or these pieces really work for us, but these pieces don't. Some call this coming into a a designer relationship where it's really custom fit to who you are and what your values and goals are within that relationship. What we want to avoid doing is inheriting roles and power dynamics that are not ours and that are not in alignment with who we want to be and what we want to experience. So one primary place to look at within your relationship, within your marriage, when it comes to power, are these assumed gender roles? How do they reflect the social power dynamics of the patriarchy? And how do we want to remake them into more of a power with relationship between two equitable partners that both get to bring their strengths and weaknesses, that both have domains of power and agency and leadership within the relationship? And where can you ask for more help? And I want to say here that it is not desirable to have more power within a relationship. We can sometimes think like, oh, okay, so the woman gets shot on in a relationship and the man has more access to power, therefore that's better. But with power comes responsibility. And a lot of guys really struggle with the sense of having to carry it all, of having to be in control, of having to make all of the decisions, of having the financial stability of the family rest upon them. It can be a burden to have unwanted power. So we all benefit when we come into a more harmonious relationship with power and gender roles and share the load a little bit more equally, because that means we share the responsibilities, but also then the freedom and the agency to shape the culture around us. Within families, one of the primary places to look at power dynamics is in decision-making processes. 
Who gets to make the decisions in your relationship? And within a domestic relationship, there are so many forms of decisions. Decisions about where you live and how you live. Decisions about career, jobs, and money. Decisions about whether or not to have children, how many children to have, and how to raise those children. Decisions about leisure time and how we spend it. Decisions about how clean to keep the house and who does that labor to keep it at a certain cleanliness standard. Decisions about community and extended family and who we spend time with, how we celebrate holidays. When you think about all of those decisions accumulated, it really is the shape of our lives we are talking about. It is the trajectory of how we experience our one precious life is shaped and formed by these thousands of daily decisions, big and small. And so who makes the decisions within your family? Who has input into those decisions? Decisions and input are two separate factors to look at because one person might be really good with money, say, and be in charge of paying the monthly bills and making sure enough money is coming in versus what's going out. But is that person unilaterally making the decisions about spending or are they just taking leadership in that role? We can have leadership without domination and we can practice this within a family by saying, I'm going to take leadership in this arena, but my leadership is for mutual benefit. And as soon as we bring in that factor of, I am going to use my power aligned with yours towards our mutual aims and goals, we are in a new relationship with power and we can make different decisions from there. Another big arena where decision-making and power dynamics show up is in the balance of domestic labor and leisure time. How you experience your ability to use your time and what kind of responsibilities fill that time versus the time you have to play, to connect with your friends, to do the things you enjoy, to take care of yourself is one that's really caught up with power dynamics. And this is really enhanced when children come into the picture and all of those responsibilities are brought up so many degrees because you have new human beings to take care of and new responsibilities and new financial duties. Many couples get into this where one person is really struggling to keep up while the other is going, say, golfing for six hours a week. And that right to go golfing is kind of assumed. I worked all week, therefore I should be able to take six hours on my weekend, but yet the other partner can't think of the last time that she had two hours to herself. Those kinds of dynamics over time create huge amounts of frustration and resentment, and it is a window that I invite you to really look at within your relationship and see what that dynamic is of who has access to leisure time, who experiences more or less domestic responsibilities and the burden of caring for the home you both share and enjoy and try to come into a more equitable relationship there. 
even if you can even it out a little bit, having the intention to do so, honoring and being grateful for the labor you both contribute into the household can create a much more positive culture of acknowledgement and gratitude and recognition of all the work it really takes to maintain these lives of ours. If someone is feeling taken for granted there, it can be deeply anti-erotic. It can be very hard to give ourselves over to play and the spaciousness of erotic expression and having fun in the bedroom and having great sex if we feel completely overburdened and overtaxed with domestic labor and child rearing and child care and caretaking. So the best I can do here is to invite you to really do an inventory of the contributions you both make to your shared life, to really check in about how equitable that is, and to try to even it out just a little bit more. And at the very least, have deep gratitude and acknowledgement for what you both contribute. A third big arena we can look at with power dynamics and power structures within a relationship is the goals and values of your shared life together. How much have you actually talked about your goals in life and aligning yourselves towards fulfillment of those mutual goals? Or are you kind of on autopilot where you have your job, maybe you have your kids, and it's kind of the daily grind, and there's not a lot of expression of what you want in life. We talk a lot about what you want in the bedroom, But what about what you want in life? What would feel fulfilling to you? Is that more time in your church community so you can really foster that sense of spiritual community and brotherhood with fellow people in your church? Is that more leisure time or time with your friends so you can really feel like you are getting to have as much fun with your friends as possible? Is that having more time to do reading and writing so you can write that book that's always been inside you? What are your goals in life that are unfulfilled? And how can you align your relationship to support one another in fulfilling those goals? This can be a really exciting conversation to revisit over and over again. Like, how are we doing within our relationship towards the fulfillment of both of our life's goals? And to recalibrate again and again, so you're not on autopilot, fulfilling these social roles and social contracts that you never really agreed to. Just that, just naming a goal out loud and feeling like your partner is there in support of you fulfilling that goal can be incredibly empowering because it reminds you, yes, I do have space in my life to create this. I can create something that I want to see in the world. And having that made space for in your life can make all of the other things that are the daily grind feel a little bit more satisfying because you're working towards something you want. You're working towards something you want. And we can experience this again in the bedroom or in our life as a whole. How much space is there for us to express what we want? And then how much support is there? How many resources can we draw on to fulfill that desire? 
again, either in the microcosm of the bedroom, in your life as a whole, creatively, socially, politically, what do you want to see in the world? And is your relationship supporting you in fulfilling those goals? Are you in alignment with your values? Or are you spending your time and energy doing things that are out of alignment with your values? Because again, that will grind down on you over time and you will experience your life as exhausting if we're not in alignment with our values. All right, so we've talked about decision-making power. We've talked about creating mutual goals and supporting one another. And one metaphor that might be really useful there is to really think about Is your partner your teammate or your adversary, right? In what arenas does it feel like your partner is your teammate and you are standing shoulder by shoulder looking out to create what you both want in the world? And what are the arenas where you feel like you are in a power dynamic or a power conflict that actually sets you up in a more of an adversarial relationship where there is a power struggle, Using that metaphor can be really useful for some people to really think about what would it feel like to have my partner as my teammate in this arena, whether that again be your financial goals, your career goals, your social goals. If your social goal is to spend more time with your friends, is your partner encouraging that, rooting you on, helping with childcare so you can have that space and time? Or are they in subtle ways throwing up obstacles to prevent you from having that time outside of the house, time with your friends? It can be subtle, the ways that we are pitted against each other in adversarial relationships. And when we root these out, name them, look at them, examine it, and then start calibrating towards more of a power with, more of a teammate mentality, Again, the results can be really, really transformative. It can remind us that we stand next to each other in life, supporting one another's mutual fulfillment rather than thwarting it. I'm now going to take this into another huge arena where sex and power are expressed in intimate relationships. And that is access to sex. Traditionally, over the past few thousand years, it has been very clear that some people use power and status to access sex, and other people have used sex to access power and status. And we can see a little example of this in our country's White House right now, hopefully for not too much longer. But Relationships like that remind us that it has been very clear over history that some people, primarily white men, have been able to access sex through accumulation of status and power. And other people have only had access to power through their sexual capital. This is a transactional model of sex that empowers nobody. It is not a model of sex that's based on pleasure, on consent, on mutuality, on using sexuality for joy and pleasure and connection like we talk about on this show. It's a model that uses sexuality as a commodity for a transaction. 
which perhaps has its place. But in my mind, transactional sex should be very clearly agreed upon and perhaps have a cash payment at the end of it. It is not the currency of long term love relationships. And I hear this all the time where women have sex with their husbands in order to get what they want. Women have sex with their husbands in order to get what they want. And that is transactional sex. It is sex out of obligation. And it is not sex that's based on their experience of pleasure or joy or desire. And we really need to unpack this because what happens in these really subtle ways is when we have a culture of transactional sex in our relationship, we then use sex to reward or punish one another. We withhold sex to exert power and domination over the other. Or we can feel entitled to sex and feel resentful if that sex is not available to us. And this plays out in so many subtle ways. Your husband pisses you off and so you turn away from them that night and you withhold affection and then the resentment cycle starts and over time withholding sex becomes this power dynamic in your relationship. And it's not just sex, it's warmth and affection. And this is going to really hit home for a lot of people I know because I get emails about this all the time. I get emails all the time that reflect this power dynamic of using sex to reward or punish one another. And when that happens, it really changes the culture of your relationship and it brings sex back into that power over realm where I know that access to my body is something you want, so I'm going to give it over or not give it over based on what I want from you. How true is this in your relationship? Or is sexuality, affection, warmth, physical touch, something that is shared between you out of a place of mutual desire, mutual pleasure, mutual wanting? Looking at this dynamic of how transactional sex has become and what that relationship between sex and power dynamics are in your relationship can reveal a lot especially for couples who are struggling in sexless relationships and sexless marriages where there has been a real drift, is there a power dynamic at the core of that distance? Is sex being withheld as a power grab? And where can you align the power dynamics and come into more power with relationship together so sex can return to a place of mutuality. Again, this is a place we can really unpack, and some of us have you know, 20 or 30 years of patterning here where we have been using sex more transactionally, where we have been withholding or rewarding sex as a power dynamic. And slight corrections to this, or even just naming it out loud and saying, you know, I'm sorry about being so distant from you, what I'm feeling really angry about is our financial stress. And I feel like you're not doing everything you can. And so that's really stressing me out. Like as we start unpacking these things, and really coming to the core of what power dynamics are creating the tension, and the feeling of adversarial conflict in our relationship, 
sexuality can again become a place of refuge, of mutual play, of expression, of desire. So these are huge topics, and I know we've already covered a lot. And I'll summarize by inviting you to think in these three domains of decision-making power, goals and values, and sexual expression and how sex is used and physical affection is used within your relationship to really think about the power dynamics that you play out in your relationship day to day. And we can have so much self-compassion when we remember that we learned these social roles. We learned how to play with power from a culture of power over. So much of our social conditioning is a power over mentality where we are taught to seek power and status at the expense of others and that other can include our spouse, which is so kind of intense to really take in and remember. But if we can look at that and think about the fact that we want to actually be teammates with our spouse, we want to be in alignment with them towards mutual goals of fulfillment, of joy, of pleasure, of feeling, of belonging and security and kinship, we can start making the adjustments necessary to come into a power with relationship with our most intimate partners. What would it feel like to truly be a teammate with your spouse, to feel fully supported and like someone has your back in all of these domains? that you can take leadership where you are strong and you can be guided where you want to step back a little bit, where you have that flow of give and take aligned towards your mutual goals and values. That's a new kind of marriage that is really just being explored and developed now. And it has never, as far as I know, existed before. So we are brave explorers of this new terrain of intimate relationships based on power with, based on power with, and again, a reminder, power with requires both people, all people to have power to, the internal power to feel like they are worthy, to feel like they matter, to feel like they have the ability to create the change they want to see in the world. And what's so exciting about this is as we practice this in our most intimate realms, We can take those skills and embodied power dynamics out into other larger social contexts. As we express ourselves, as we learn to communicate, as we learn to align ourselves into power with relationships, with the people we are closest with, our friends and our family and our children, we can then start practicing how to map those relationships into the workplace, into our civic life, into our spiritual communities, and transform culture at large into a power with relationship. Yeah? All right. I think that is enough for today. Uh, We will be back with you next week with more episodes about sex and power. We are going to start talking about erotic power play, playing with power more deliberately in our sexual spheres and how to consensually exchange power for arousal and thrills. If you want to shape upcoming episodes and be in touch with us and in direct communication with us, 
The best way to do that is to join our membership community, The Pleasure Pod. The Pleasure Pod is our membership community where we have direct conversations with you. You have direct access to my chat box and we have created members-only resource pods around some of the most popular topics we cover so you can quickly find what you are looking for and go deep with our resources. You can find it at pleasuremechanics.com pod where you will find the options to joining. We have kept it very accessible So if you can contribute just a few dollars a month to keep the show going and show your love and support for the show, we will be in direct communication with you and show up for you day after day, supporting you and throwing our power behind your goals and your fulfillment. Yes, that's pleasuremechanics.com slash pod to join the membership community. You'll find everything we offer at pleasuremechanics.com. And we are here for you. We love you. We will see you next time on Speaking of Sex. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. Cheers.